Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Jeff Riggles and John Mark Manzion. For more on Jeff, you can check out 11thframe.com, a great blog that Jeff puts together. John Mark is the editor of Bowler's Journal. For more on them, great print magazine tournament always run in conjunction with the USBC Open. Check them out, bowlersjournal.com. Gentlemen, I want to thank you guys for joining me today. Good to be here. All right, guys. Well, I thought it's kind of end of summer, and we're getting into league play shortly here. Most folks are starting their league soon. So we thought we'd go back and kind of talk about some of the things we've all been covering. You guys have been doing your own thing, uh, both in print and Jeff on the web. And so, Jeff, I want to begin with you because you recently just had the chance to sit down and chat with PBA Commissioner Tom Clark. If you want to check out the entire article, check out 11thframe.com. A very lengthy, very good article. Um, But a bit of news, Jeff, was broke in that article where it sounds like there's a likely sponsorship between the PBA and Bullmore AMF. Did Tom give you any indication on when we can expect this deal to be done? Well, all, all he said was that he felt super confident. I don't remember the exact quote, and hopefully sooner than rather than later. So I'm kind of expecting an announcement to be made uh, fairly soon, and uh, hopefully we'll get that. I mean, that's what we're all looking for, I, I assume, and, and certainly that would be fantastic news for the bowling industry. And that's one of those neat stories that's kind of uh, man bites dog because it certainly wasn't something anyone was expecting or most people weren't expecting because – it kind of goes against the grain of the image many bowlers have of Bullmore AMF. So uh, very, very interesting. When Tom told me that, I about fell out of my chair, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, and John Mark, you guys took a lot of grief at Bowler's Journal for naming Tom Shannon as the proprietor of the year. In fact, I believe one of the articles, uh, one of the comments to the editor said that he's the Antichrist or something of the sort. <laughs> um, but does this kind of um, does this kind of vindicate you guys for your decision, and does it leave these people criticizing you with a little bit of egg on their face? 
Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, what I what I can say is that the the, the the bowling industry's knowledge that we have a man who has invested two hundred and seventy million dollars into the bowling industry has to at least quell some of the concerns people had, um, you know, about Baltimore's commitment to bowling, right? I mean, $270 million speaks pretty loudly, at least it certainly does in my life. <laughs> uh, but, but the other thing that I, that I think, you know, people don't necessarily give Tom Shannon, the CEO of Baltimore AMF, credit for is the fact that actually recently he has been talking about a concerted effort within Baltimore AMF to up their league counts. Um, and I think we owe it to him to maybe take him on his word uh, at, at that rather than just allow, you know, whatever paranoias or suspicions we may have about him uh, linger at the forefront of our minds, um, you know, uh, rather than allowing Tom Shannon to maybe show us what he's about, show us what he really believes in, and demonstrate his conviction through action. And I think he's done that through the purchase of Brunswick Retail Centers and his assurance that he's not interested in turning Brunswick retail centers into Splitsville. You know, he's going to retain the Brunswick center's identity. Um, he's committed to leagues. He has already said through his VP of uh, his Rachel VP, Larry Ross, that they do intend on maintaining uh, daytime hours to re- to keep up with daytime leagues uh, and even morning leagues at Brunswick centers, which is not something you necessarily would expect of a guy who is renowned at this point for, uh, really being committed to the sort of trendy entertainment center model. Um, and I think recent recent suggestions we've gotten from Tom Shannon through his words and his actions really do suggest otherwise. And Jeff, what are, what are your thoughts on the um, on the whole situation? And, and Tom Shannon, you know, there was a very lengthy piece that the guys uh, at Bowler's Journal did with um, with Tom. What are, you, what are your thoughts and what are you hearing from people inside the know? Well, I mean, I, Tom's not someone I've ever spoken with. I've gone back and forth with uh, their PR people trying to set something up and just haven't been able to. And uh, I give all the credit in the world for Bullet Journal for kind of going out on a limb there because I know they, they knew that they were going to get some heat. But I think everything John Mark said there really rings true. And I think what we got to understand as bowlers is that Tom Shannon is a businessman. Bullmore AMF is a company trying to make a profit. And they're going to do what they think is best to do that. They may be wrong. They may be right. But they're, they're not out to give charity to bowlers. They're out to make a buck. And um, which I think, and rather than that being a negative, I think you can kind of look at that as a positive because I think they're going to jump at any opportunity where they think they can make a buck. And if they get in their mind that, which they seem to have, that they can use the PBA as a marketing vehicle for them, and sponsoring and that, and they think that will benefit them, then they're going to jump in with their money. He's obviously proved he's not afraid to do that. Um, the commercial was, was a couple million bucks, I hear, the national one that was pretty good. Um, and he's bought Brunswick, like John Mark said, for $270 million. And he's not, a, he's not a fool. He's a guy that's shown a way to make money. He's not going to take all those leagues and throw them out of there. Um, to Brunswick, that was the greatest thing Tom said in there. I think the most telling thing was talking about the difference between AMF when they bought it and Brunswick Centers when they bought them. Very different situation. AMF, from all my experiences, most of the centers are, at least around here that I know of and experience I have in the Midwest, not in the best of shape, um, not good business for the most part, and, and needed a, a kick in the pants or to get closed. And Brunswick centers, for the most part, are exactly the opposite. They're doing very well, and from the ones I know of, 
and in general, and I don't expect him to do a whole lot to change that business model. Maybe just take the best friends look and probably apply it to some of those AMS centers, the ones that he keeps open. So I don't think it's bad to have a guy that's not afraid to spend a buck to make a buck in the bowling industry. And uh, if the PBA is worth it to him and they do what's necessary, then they're going to get rewarded. And, I mean, that's just hard-headed business, and that's pretty much how the world works, I think. And I don't think bowlers... I don't want to say that we're begging for charity, but there's a lot of that that, uh, you know, give it to us because we deserve it type of thing in the industry. And um, I may not have worded that exactly. That may be too harsh. But, you know, we need to earn, and as bowlers, we need to earn what we get. And hopefully we will earn what we get from uh, from the AMF when it comes to the PBA, and it'll, it'll work for both sides. Well, like you mentioned, Jeff, there were a lot of AMF centers in the Milwaukee area that are that are being shut down and such was that just something was there a time when you can look back and say wow this is when the amfs just started going downhill it seemed like they just stopped from my opinion uh, when i remember bowling there they just stopped putting money in stopped i don't want to say caring because they probably cared in some degree the people working there certainly cared but the the upper brass weren't caring quite as much do you you have any ideas or any thoughts on when that actually was or you know was that in the 80s 90s or when they you know just really were like okay we're, we're done well, for the most part, they were kind of, I think, doomed a bit when they bought them from Red Carpet because the Red Carpet chain was great in its day, but it goes back a long ways, and most of those facilities hadn't really been upgraded when AMF bought them. And, um, you know, things kind of went downhill, and I, I don't think they looked at a cost-benefit analysis and just decided they weren't worth putting money in. The one that... that Red Carpet had put all the money in was Regency, which used to be Red Carpet North, where the Bowling of the Champs and all their main tournaments were um, moved from Celebrity and Bolero to there. But that was in a kind of a rough neighborhood, and and it kind of didn't have a lot of other business. It was a beautiful facility for the remade in the 80s, you know, going back to then. It was state-of-the-art then. A lot of the other ones just aren't state-of-the-art, never were state-of-the-art, um, aren't now. Um, even the ones, the two that are remaining, Bolero and, and West, are... You know, um, <laughs> they're not. To, I won't use the word dump, and a lot of the good, people, but they're they're older facilities, and a lot of the people who work there are good people. But you know, you'd have to spend so much money to go in there, and when they want to raise your leases, and the land is more valuable for other retail uses. Frankly, I I can't I can't blame AMF one bit. It's just uh, costs too much money to make any money there, and they have higher uses that can get them a lot more money. And I don't blame them for doing that. And Truthfully, as much as bowling has fallen in Milwaukee from how huge it was, it's probably a good thing that some of those go away so that the independents who uh, probably are more, quote, serious bowling friendly, they'll have a chance to prosper a little more and, and stay in business. So I don't think that that is totally, totally a negative. I mean, we don't like to see centers closed, but there were too many lanes for the number of bowlers there. And, I mean, that's a fact. Okay, guys, I want to get both of your opinions on this uh, regarding the same thing that we're talking about here. And this goes back to an interview that I did earlier this month with Rick Benoit. Now, Rick is a former employee of Brunswick, and full disclosure, he, he uh, left Brunswick. He was let go from Brunswick, so that may play a part or it may not play a part. But he had said that he had noticed the passion when he was there from the management was disappearing at Brunswick. And, guys, I just want to get your thoughts on that, if you've had any any sorts of thought and comment, and then if you've noticed anything as well over the years with Brunswick. Go ahead, John Mark. 
Okay, well, I, I cannot speak to, you know, the, the magnitude of passion within Brunswick as someone who has never worked within Brunswick. What I can speak to, however, is, is just the numbers. What you have is a sprawling, huge, very profitable corporation that looks at its bottom line and sees that only 8% of that bottom line is comprised of its bowling businesses. So uh, just in, in a business sense, I don't necessarily know it's reasonable to expect that Brunswick is going to be fused with all kinds of passion about a business that is 8% of their bottom line when their marine and, and uh, health and fitness businesses are bringing in the rest. You know, when you look at uh, $187 million on the retail side, $100 million on the product side, yes, that's a lot of money, but it, it is a minute fraction of the total revenue that Brunswick Corporation as a whole is bringing in. Uh, and I think that this gets back to something that Tom Shannon, who, of course, purchased those retail centers as the CEO of Bulmer AMF, said to us in his, in his interview with Bowler's Journal, which is distinguishing between passion and, and I guess, reason. And he says he understands that passion has been a big part of what has made the bowling industry what it is, but it also perhaps can be seen as a weakness. And maybe what you need is a balance between the two. Passion, yes, I am passionate. I know Jeff Riggles is passionate. We're people who have been part of bowling for decades. We love bowling, and we hate to see bowling suffer in any way. However, I think it does the bowling industry at large perhaps some good to get a guy comes in from the outside who isn't a so-called passionate you know, part of the bowling industry, but rather a sort of dispassionate b businessman, as Jeff Riggles described it earlier, coming in and making decisions based on the bottom line. And when you look at what Brunswick said about its decision to sell its retail centers and to put Brunswick bowling products also up for sale, they said, look, the numbers don't justify continued investment in the sport of bowling, at least not from our perspective. And let's hand it off to a guy who has shown uh, very aggressively through an unsolicited offer to purchase retail centers for a, an amount that Brunswick was inordinately happy with, $270 million, and see what he can do with it. It just doesn't make sense from, from our end. So is, does that mean Brunswick no longer was passionate about bowling? Maybe, maybe not. But if if the answer is that they were not as passionate about bowling as they have been, I, from a business sense, certainly am in, in no position to judge them for that or blame them for that when you really see how much of their bottom line was comprised of their bowling businesses. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't couldn't say it better than what John Mark just did. You know, I, it's hard to be passionate about something that's such a minuscule part of your business. And if you're one of the people in the bowling part of it, it probably is a little disheartening to look at the figures and see that you're basically a uh, uh, tiny, tiny slice. I mean, they were less bowling part with less than 10% of, of Brunswick. And it probably, truthfully, in the long run, will be better for Brunswick, at least the centers, to be part of an actual bowling company if it's well run, which it probably will be. And the the big thing here that I think we all have to care about as bowlers is what's going to happen to the rest of it, to the pin setter company, to the to the uh, bowling balls, to the lanes. Um, I don't. I think it would be a real tragedy for bowling if somebody doesn't come along and make a deal to get those. And uh, I've got a few ideas on who would be great to have them. I don't know if they've got the money. I have no idea where this deal will end up being made and at what price. But I'd sure hate to see us be down to two main bowling ball companies. I'm a storm lifer, but I don't think it's good for anybody if we're down to two instead of three main companies. And, I, I mean, we all need we need ten great companies 
You know, I mean, storms staying even roughly, and the other ones are falling, so that's probably making storms stronger. But wouldn't it be better if we were all growing and adding and storm was just growing and adding more? I mean, that that would be ideal. And then when you come to the lanes and the pin setters, if it comes down to just Cubica AMF making lanes and pin setters, you know, I tell anybody, find me a business where there's only one company and tell me that that company does as good a job as it would do if it had a competitor or two or three. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's just not going to be good for us if somebody doesn't come along. And even if it gets split split up into different pieces, boy, it's just not going to be good if, if somebody doesn't come along. And I hope uh, Rob Plaza, the equity analyst that I interviewed for the, the story about Brunswick, uh, is right when he says that he, he thinks that at some point there will be a price there that, that somebody will, will come to and a deal will be made. Well, Jeff, so you just hit on my next point is that I think is how the folks like myself who, who aren't really in an area that's affected. We don't have any Brunswick centers, don't have any AMF centers in my area, but we're affected by the, you know, we're affected by the pin setters, the pins and the scoring. Can you think of any other areas, maybe indirectly, whether that's when I travel to both tournaments or whether, whether I travel here or travel there where, where things are going to be noticeable for someone like myself who isn't in an area where we have a Brunswick center or uh, even AMF centers that are closing or changing and that sort of thing? Sure. How about the Open Championships? When's the last time we didn't have Brunswick stuff? You know, I mean, that that if I guess then they basically the U.S. mercy of of uh, AMF then, and uh, you know, not having two companies to bid against each other is. I mean, that's just not a good situation. And we can think back to when there was three, when Hedden was uh, had a couple of had a couple of ABCs and did a great job, uh, as I recall, in Huntsville. In <laughs> I like that <laughs> Um But, uh, you know, I don't think that would be good for anybody. And then you've got the idea of if Brunswick's things go away, who's going to, you know, who's going to keep making parts for Brunswick machines? And, you know, and then you got to replace your lanes and, you know, you've got scoring systems. And, I mean, it, there's just a lot of scary scenarios there in my mind that maybe I'm kind of simplistic in thinking that, but, if Brunswick goes away, not the bowling centers, but the the, the other side of it, I I just I just don't see any good coming of that. And I know that I do, I don't know if it was Chicago Market Sports Journal that broke it that Cubic AMF was actually thinking about including the whole thing, but and I trust probably just you know defeated that because AMF yes. no more owns half of Cubic AMF and. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that would never pass. But we get the same effective thing if Brunswick goes out of business. We have one company running things as far as the pin setters and lanes and all that. And I just, I, I don't have anything against, I like AMF machines. I, I've had plenty of success on their lanes. Uh, none of that, it's not anything against AMF. It's just the idea that if you don't have a competitor, you're going to naturally get a little lazy, I think, because it's, that's just human nature. John, Mark, anything you'd like to add? Yes, I I do want to, you know, I know that people heard this story and thought, oh, my God, Brunswick is leaving bowling. And so did I, (laughs) frankly, when I first heard the story. However, uh, I did also interview Brent Carrier, president of Brunswick Bowling Products, uh, not too long after the news broke and went back and listened to the conference call on July 17th, where Dustin, Dustin McCoy, the CEO of Brunswick, talked about the deal. And I will remind people who are concerned, not necessarily unjustifiably, about the possibility of an industry that no longer includes Brunswick bowling products at all, uh, that Dustin McCoy himself said Brunswick will be 
interested in continuing to run Brunswick Bowling products should no suitable buyer emerge. Brent Perrier also said to me that Brunswick Bowling products will be around for longer than you or I. And he was very insistent and impassioned in making that point to me. So we right. have to decide. Do we take them? Uh, do we take them at their word for that? Uh, I see no reason not to. Brent Perrier, in particular, was very passionate in his in in making that point to me over the phone. Um, so one way or another, either in the hands of someone else, or it seems maybe in the hands of Brunswick, should no suitable buyer emerge, Brunswick Bowling Products will will remain. Even though that they said in their release that they were going to make the sale and they hired. Lazar to to make the sale that that they might even hold it on if it doesn't get the deal doesn't get done by the end of 2014. That that's oh, that that's okay. that's the impression I got, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Look, or the Brunswick has made very clear that they, with a little stock sale. But uh, who knows? Who knows? But Brunswick has made it very clear that they are absolutely intent on selling Brunswick Bowling products by the end of this year. However. If it doesn't happen for them, if no suitable buyer emerges, and Brent Perrier also said to me that Dustin McCoy will insist on getting what they think is fair value for Brunswick Bowling products. So it's possible that no, quote, suitable buyer, in, in whatever way Brunswick defines the, ter- the word suitable, emerges. They say that they're going to continue holding on to it. But, yeah, they are absolutely making every effort to sell Brunswick Bowling products, Lazard being a great example of that. Well, Jeff, I want to hit on something that you you brought up earlier uh, regarding locally owned centers. And there was a great piece in the Wisconsin State Journal by Dennis Punzel where he actually takes a look at what centers are doing in the Madison, Wisconsin area to keep their leagues full. Um, first off, my initial thought is if, if guys in Madison and if leagues are getting together and proprietors are getting together in Madison to fill leagues, doesn't that spell trouble for the rest of us here in the United States? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I've become, uh, sadly, kind of a pessimist about things. I mean, it, it's just a continual downward spiral, and I don't see any end to it. Um, I, I would love to see an end to it, but I need somebody, I'm a journalist, I need somebody to give me a factual reason to believe that the 4 to 5%, 6% bleed that happens year after year after year, and it's been happening for many years, is going to turn around. And I, like you said, I live in a prosperous community, very low unemployment, very high per capita income, lots of disposable income, recreation-oriented, bad weather in the winter, so people, I mean, this has been a giant bowling community forever, and um, things are tough around here. We just had another center close this summer, and, uh, you know, even even the good centers that were recently built and have some debt load are you know they're they're struggling to 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 make that that load and make those payments. They're not they're not living in money, swimming in money. It's tough times, and you know it's a, some of the tournament stuff around here is still pretty good, but overall it's not as good as it used to be. Obviously, and you know I just I I bust my brains trying to figure out answers, and I don't know if I have any. And and if if it's this tough here, I shudder to think how it is elsewhere where the bowling culture is not as gigantic as it always has been here. Well, John Mark, do you think something needs to be done? Just, uh, I mean, kind of like a wholesale change with leagues and something has to be tried, whether that be short season leagues. Um, I know there's been a lot of uh, trying, you know, people trying these NASCAR type leagues out here. They do Reno leagues where, you know, your money is put towards chips to go to Reno. I know that's a curse word for everyone else, but here it actually (laughs) fills up leagues. Uh, Does something have to be done like that to, I don't want to say a gimmick, but something done to keep people interested in joining a league? 
Well, if I recall, you know, when I was at USBC, I, I do recall USBC trying some of those things, short, shortened league seasons, really trying some innovative things on the youth bowling side. You know, USBC, of course, is as aware as anyone of the 5 to 6% bleed each year that uh, Riggles alluded to. Um, so, yeah, I think that something does need to be done, and I, do, I think USBC is aware of that. I think they're, they're being as proactive as they can about that. There's no doubt. And, and secondly, I would just say that um, I agree with, with Riggles' assessment of the situation, and I would harken back to, again, what Brunswick said in their conference call. The reason Brunswick chose to make this decision, which was kind of an earthquake within the bowling industry, is they, and this is Dustin McCoy, the CEO, acknowledging this in the call, they see a trend that perhaps is irreversible toward recre- the recreational side of bowling. Bowlers, customers coming into bowling centers looking for entertainment. They're an entertainment-minded and entertainment-hungry audience now. And that is where Dustin McCoy and, and Brent Perrier and, and the rest of the Brunswick um, um, uh, executive staff saw bowling moving, and that's why they made this decision. So I would say two things. Firstly, it's possible that this push toward recreation of bowling is irreversible. And secondly, yes, absolutely. We need to experiment with league formats. I think that I see a USBC doing some of that. And, and let's, give them, let's give them time to see how things shake out. Uh, because it does take time. I, I think Riggles would, would uh, say that just as well. You know, it takes time to see how initiatives and, and new ideas are taking shape and, and how, uh, uh, you know, effective they are. Maybe three, five years down the road, we see that some um, shortened league season ideas have yielded some benefits. Uh, it's just going to take time and we need to be patient. But it's hard to be patient, of course, when the short term is, is provoking such tremendous anxiety as it is throughout the industry right now. Well, and, and aren't leagues, are leagues being maybe promoted by the centers and the proprietors and the BPAA in the proper proper tune? Because what you guys are saying, recreational bowlers, a lot of people that bowl league are recreational players as well, or we need to get the people that come out and bowl league as recreational because we're all three pretty serious guys here, and I only bowl, you know, I'm down to one league a, a year, you know, a night, um, just because it's it's a challenge to get out there that second night, but so you know, can't we need to push the benefits? I think of a league and the the fun, because I think people think league they they right away equate that with serious, which as we all know, there's leagues for there are leagues that are serious and there are leagues that aren't so serious. But I think kind of there's just that mindset and misnomer that leagues are always serious, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd agree with that for sure. Um, I, I think the numbers show you that just as many people bowl now as did before, but they don't bowl as often and they don't bowl as seriously as they once did. And the trick is to find a way to incorporate that mentality and the busyness of people's lives. I I really think that it's not so much about the sport of bowling or the recreation of bowling and bowling itself that is the problem. It's that there's just so many other things to compete with and People just are too busy, and nobody wants to bowl 28 or 32 or whatever nights a year. Heck, I, I only bowl one league, and, man, I mean, I get done at 10.30 or 10 o'clock at night. i got to get up at 2.30 the next morning, and I, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a struggle. And, you know, we're just so busy compared to what we were 25 years ago. That's, that's inevitable. But somewhere there's going to be a way to find how to incorporate the people that love bowling just not as often and, and make them into – um, you know, USBC affiliate members or some sort of way where they don't even know that they're members, that they're paying, you know, they don't know that their money's coming out of pocket to do that, but all of a sudden, hey, I'm a member, and cool, maybe I'll go to the national tournament or I'll, I'll do something 
because I'm all of a sudden I got this USBC membership. I think that might be the step that needs to be taken. Well, and Jeff. Yeah, uh, and, and, and Tim, I would just real quick say that, you know, in Rick Benoit's interview with you recently, he mentioned the need to fill the gap between recreational and so-called more serious bowling. Um, and he, he believes that his initiative with BowlU is, is helping to do that. He believes that the two don't need to be mutually exclusive. Uh, and I think there's something to be said for that. I was going to say that's one of Rick's um, Rick's big things is, is that he's trying to get that and and um, and thinks our sport doesn't do a uh, well enough job to to make that kind of distinction that there's your really serious guys and then you're not so serious folks. Um, final things I'd like to hit on both you guys with the USBC um, finishing up and the checks in the mail and all that good stuff, guys. Um, just want to get your thoughts and a little bit of of, of uh, what we can expect in your opinion in El Paso. Are, are they as you know? USBC going to tighten up the shot and make it a little more challenging so that the scores get reined in a little bit, or is it one of these things where the team number? I mean, Jeff, you've been you you know you've wrote about this. It's going to be down. I mean, I think they're expecting that. Uh, is it something where they say, you know what, it is it is what it is, and if if a team comes out and shoots thirty six hundred again, then then they do. Go ahead, John Mark. Uh, well, Jeff, you're the more authoritative source on that question than I am. But real quick, what I will say is all I can speak to is what I've heard from the uh, Open Championships bowlers I interviewed this year. I spoke with Pete Thomas, the team captain of, of uh, Art, uh, Artistic Expressions, one that shot that giant score, uh, breaking the record by 159 pins. And uh, I've spoken with others, too, who, who bowled the event, others who were not a part of that uh, uh, record-breaking team. And they've all said to me, and I know that Riggles has said this in his blog several times, basically the Pandora's box may have been opened by the unprecedented uh, abundance of information available to bowlers today. You can go out and, and be coached by Mike Jazz now on site. You can find the patterns online. You can look at Jeff Riggles' discussion in the 11th Frame blog about the patterns, how they're playing. You can watch on Bowl TV and see how they're playing. Pete Thomas himself told me he did that, and that was directly influential on his decision as to how he and his team were going to break the pattern down. They were going to play further outside than they saw most bowlers playing in his estimation. They could go out 3, 4, 5, whereas he saw a lot of bowlers trying to break down around 8, 9, 10. And obviously he was onto something because they had unbelievable success uh, playing that, that different line. Now you can tighten the shot up all you want, but that's not going to tighten up the amount of resources available to bowlers who go out there. And I think that maybe a tighter shot, maybe more subs, uh, in quotes, more challenging shot might depress scores a little bit, but it may not because you're still going to have guys like Pete Thomas and guys like Jeff Riggles who are very committed to doing the research they do to ensure that they can be as successful and informed and knowledgeable as they possibly can be when they get to the tournament. So I would love to see that experiment. I would love it if USBC would just come out and say openly, hey, this is a tougher shot, and then let's see what happens. I would not be surprised if it doesn't necessarily have some kind of dramatic um, uh, kind of sinking effect on, on scores. Well, the thing I'd add to that is we just have to remember in Baton Rouge in 2012, they were tough. They were really tough. And there was still a 3,400, you know, which years ago would have been like, wow, that's the greatest score, you know. So everything John Mark said is true. They told bowlers are smarter, they're better, they got better equipment, they have practice, they have, you know, places to watch other teams bowl. Somebody's going to solve the puzzle no matter how hard you make them and shoot a pretty big score that would have raised eyebrows. Will there be another 3,700? Probably not in my lifetime, I, unless they put a house shot in, which I don't expect. To me, I throw that score out. 
That was the equivalent of, as I wrote, a Bob Beeman. It was so far and above anything. You know, I would not have been surprised on a 36, but they just got going so good that they basically had a free roll that last game. They knew they had it won almost, what, three, four frames into it? How loose were those arm swings the last, you know, half of that game? That probably, you'll never see that again. I don't think anybody will approach that score. On a house shot, I've never shot. And all the great teams I've been on, I've never shot 3,700. So I'm not real worried about that score. I, I tip my cap to them, and, you know, it's one more we'll look at, and it'll probably be there long after I'm gone. And it's no big deal to me. Um, I would not expect any great dramatic differences in conditions going forward. The thing that will be different is we'll have brand-new lanes next year again, just like in Baton Rouge. Remember, in Reno, we've been bowling on lanes that have been worn in for several years now. I think 07 was the last time we bowled on fresh lanes in Reno. So that is a huge factor that most people don't don't think about, or a lot of bowlers don't think about. You have that built-in quick friction, breaks down faster, opens up easier. Next year, brand-new lanes, we're not going to see that. The other factor that people need to remember is that we have some new people in charge there. Um, and I'm not, I don't mean just Chad Murphy. I mean Brian Lewis is no longer the man in charge of the USBC Open Championships. What's that going to mean? How much? I do, honestly to, don't know how much influence he had on the pattern. But you know, Eric Pearson is still the lane man. Is going to be next year, as far as I know. But uh, you know, who, who did he answer to? Who does he have to discuss it with? And and will it be uh, Greg Moore or will he? You know, talk to Chad Murphy directly. Um, you know, and how much Chad's more of a bowler than certainly than Stu Ups, and Chad was a great bowler. Uh, is he going to dip his finger in there and, and, you know, have a few words with Eric? You know, I, I don't know. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. But whatever happens, we're still going to have all those factors of uh, kickoff show, posted patterns, practice, knowledge that everyone can share, webcasts you can watch, and the, the days of 3,100 winning, it's never coming back unless they put something down that would drive off so many bowlers. As for the entries, um, I don't have anything official. Um, I, people I've chatted with said they're doing about uh, on pace with last year, or I guess this year it is. So I don't. I was. I think I'm going to be pleasantly surprised to be wrong because I predicted El Paso might be only 7,500, and it sounds like it's going to be pretty decent, maybe even more than this year's, which is good. I'll never be happier to be wrong about anything in my life. <laughs> so I hope that comes true. All right, guys. Well, this has been a, a treat chatting again. Uh, check out Gian Car- uh, uh, John Mark uh, Manzione, editor of the Bowler Journal magazine. Uh, great stuff there. Check out Jeff Riggles, 11thframe.com uh, is where you can find out more about Jeff and read all his great pieces. Both these guys doing great work out there to promote bowling. Like uh, like John Mark said, two passionate guys, and I just thought this would be a good way for all of us to kind of chat about some of the uh, big news of the summer. And um, and guys, I want to thank you for taking uh, taking some time out of your day. My pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Great time.